Welcome to the UFSA podcast. We'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Today we are joined by a very special guest, a recent graduate from the film production program here at UBC who is here to share with us her upcoming projects as well as her experience as a young filmmaker in Vancouver. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Andy Alvarez. I'm a Latin American filmmaker based in Vancouver. Thank you for being here, Andy. Uh, we really appreciate that you came here, especially now that VIF is starting and we know that it's going to be a tight schedule for you and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but let's just, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, are you, were you born in Vancouver? Are you living here full time? No, I was born in Colombia, and my family and I moved to Canada when I was about seven years old. We landed as refugees and lived through the welfare program for about six, I want to say six or seven years. And we landed in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And I lived there for, I want to say, five years. And then we moved to Edmonton, Alberta for a couple of years. And then I did my first year in UBCO and I came to Vancouver to pursue the film production program that they have here. And I've been in Vancouver ever since. Um, My parents are now based in northern Alberta. Very cold. Mm-hmm. Yes, very cold. Yeah. When I go there, it's only I only ever stay at home because it's below fifty and everything's frozen. Um. So let's jump jump right in because I see some similarities. I've seen your first your thesis film, mm-hmm. uh, La Mariposa, and I can see some of those similarities. So, uh, let's just talk about La Mariposa. Can you tell us what the film is about? This film is about this young girl named Carol who wants to pass a swimming test. And she struggles to accept the fact that she's not that good at swimming. And she struggles to pass this test. And all the while, the short film is being contrasted with how her family copes as being immigrants in this new country. And that's directly based off my personal life. I am that little girl. Do you know how to swim now? Yes, but I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, every time somebody's like, oh, we should go for a swim. And I'd be like, no, having you see the film, like... I don't I enjoy can't. it. <laughs> yeah. Let me show you. I can't swim. <laughs> exactly. Um, so how early in your life would you say you were interested in film or where did that come from? Um, I think I took a video one class in um, my Catholic high school in Kitchener, Waterloo. And I remember going in and the assignments that we were given I was really passionate about them, and you can, you know how when you're in high school, you, you get assigned to a bunch of group assignments. The people in your group, yeah. they don't really care at all, and it's so annoying. So I was always that kid that always put in a little bit too much effort, and then I started realizing that I started thinking about every video project that I wanted to do and how I wanted to keep pushing it, and mm-hmm. I remember my, my professor being like, Andy, this like it's okay, like you don't have to go all out for this um but I really wanted to and I started realizing that like this is something else that I liked because I usually I was really into sports as well so I had it in my head that I was going to be a professional volleyball player (laughs) but I was very short so that didn't pan out very nicely but um uh video started like so around grade 10 I would say I started really getting into video Mm -hmm. and then um but mostly like I wanted to be an actress I really wanted to act, and that was like the first thing. And as high school progressed, I didn't get cast into any of the theater plays, mostly because I didn't necessarily think of myself as a theater performer. But or I'm I'm also wait for the cameras. Exactly, and I was also a really terrible singer. So I mean, (laughs) I still am. So 
that didn't help, especially being in theater. So I decided to make my own things to star in them myself. Yeah. And the first film I made, I starred in it myself because I made a, I, I had a casting call. No one showed up. So, so that was great. Really tough, nice life lesson. And... Um, and yeah, I, I started doing this stuff, and luckily that started leading to more projects, and I started involving myself more in film, and it was great. I had the opportunity to go to an arts high school when we moved to Edmonton. That was really helpful because they had facilities that allowed us to explore with green screen and different other equipment that we you wouldn't normally get in a normal high school. So it seems that it sounds like the, uh, the script for La Mariposa was in your head for a long time. You were like this swimming lesson here it's gonna I'm gonna make something with this before so I should go back the mm-hmm. origin story is that when I was uh, when we were living in Toronto this this story of La Mariposa actually happened and it actually took place over a period of about three months mm-hmm. and I couldn't pass the swimming test and that was like a big deal for me every time we had the chance to go to the pool um, because the welfare allowed us to give like comp tickets to the, the, the community center where we were living, which is really cool. But um, every time I went to the pool, I like was always the first kid to line up um, for the swimming test, and I was always I was always there, just swimming and swimming and swimming. And every time the lifeguard would say no, like you got to keep practicing, and it ended up coming to a point where I was like crying all the time because I didn't understand why I didn't get a chance to go on the slide. And it was really frustrating because I was a great swimmer in Colombia. Of course, you know, you like in Colombia, you get to swim in the rivers and they have pools there too. But it was just really tough to... Well, why was he failing you? Like, what were you, were you drowning? I didn't get it. You know, I, I actually Googled that same pool and I looked up the reviews and I wasn't the only kid <laughs> that was dealing with this. I wonder if there was like a certain like systemic... Like, this is, like, the only people that get to go on. Maybe it was racism. Maybe it was just, like, random, like, picking. It really could be anything. But I know that I wasn't the only person. Um, So, anyways, it's something that happened over a period of, like, three months. And my dad never really let me forget it. How there was always me, this little girl, really skinny, like, really small, shivering, waiting to just go back in the pool and, yeah, exactly, and swim. And... Um, my parents always bring it up during times where I'm still facing challenges like for example I didn't get into UBC Vancouver when I first applied and then they offered me a position at UBCO but I was really upset and they were like Andy like look at the bright side or and I also had applied to SFU which I didn't get into either so like at first I didn't have any university at, at one point and I was really really scared and like my parents were always like remember that little girl in the pool of course, every other time that I fail at something and fail at something, like right now applying to grants for other films, um, and I keep getting rejections. It's like my dad's all the time over the phone. He's like, well, I just remember that little girl in the pool. So it's it's a story that keeps... It's something that we shared around on the dinner table. It's a story that, hap- that comes up at every family reunion. So I eventually made it into a movie, which was either the best thing I've ever done, but in my family's eyes, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, she's also going to make a movie about this, too, and a movie about that, so (laughs) whatever I've experienced, my family's like, don't say that because Andy will put it into a movie. Um, Anyways, that was just like a little backstory about, like, the truly, what truly is La Mariposa is, like, it's a little story that my family still talks about. So how did they react when they first saw the Mariposa? I'm going to guess at POV. Yeah, they first saw it at POV. I didn't let them see anything else. Although they were there 
for the filming of the Mariposa because they catered for the film. They drove all the way from Grand Prairie for 16 hours to come here and like make the food for the cast and crew, which I am eternally grateful for. But I didn't let them see anything until the final presentation at POV 27. Um, there are pictures actually online that were captured of them like just having tears in their eyes and just being very proud, which I, I it's one of the best times of my experience at UBC, mm-hmm. uh, especially because the film was dedicated for them. I made in the in the credits it says for my parents, so it was really nice to be able to share that experience with them. Okay, so when you have a story that is so personal and it's with you for the rest of your life, and you finally make a script, and then comes that point in fourth year where you have to decide uh, which people to bring into this personal story, how do you make that? Uh, decision was it something that you already knew who you wanted to work with because we know that in the film production uh, program there are three main artistic uh, people and so you get to uh, I don't know if it changed or it changed in your year but you get to pitch your idea and then somebody's like I want to do that um, how, how was that process for you to trust someone with your story yeah uh, in fourth year you're allowed to make your project and yeah you're supposed to bring on two more of the people to help you out um, in different creative roles Um, I chose my people very carefully because I knew that they were good at what they were doing and I'd seen their work working with them in the past two years that I was in the program with them. Mm -hmm. So I remember knowing exactly who I wanted to work with before I had pitched. That summer I was already location scouting with them. So by the time that I pitched, I already had my team uh, ready to go. Um, And I chose Minty Pardo, who's our producer, even before we started our first classes in second year, mm-hmm. which is the first year of the program, I immediately contact like we I immediately connected with Minty. Um, with Minty, I, we were unstoppable. We always produced things together, and it was so great because we had this great work ethic where we were always kind of in sync. Although we had very different ideas of what movies we like, <laughs> um, but we always knew how to make something happen, even if it was just a lar- larger scale, and we made it happen good and efficient and I really enjoyed working with her so I knew that I wanted to work with her as well for this project because it was one of the biggest projects of that year we had lots of children we had children swimming which is a stunt we had lots of extras and it was in Spanish and we were dealing with a huge location like a giant swimming pool so I knew that the best person to handle those obstacles was Minty and of course she's my best friend so it worked out Um, And for the cinematographer, which is the other creative role that you usually have as well, it was Farhad, and I chose him specifically because the film is in Spanish, or at least 80% of it is in Spanish, and he is someone who grew up in Mexico and has grown up in Canada, and he's had the experience of, you know, being that little kid, you know, that that fish out of water. Um, And his imagery and his well-diverse knowledge of being behind the camera is served the story very well, and I thought that was really great. And both of them were really great people to have on board, and honestly, the film wouldn't be where it is, or what it is now, without those two collaborators. So nice that you get to have those connections, because, I mean, with this program, I mean, with the programs at ABC, same for the Film Studies program, they're so small that you didn't really know. You probably have an idea that you're, like, with the best, or with people who are trying to work towards a film production degree, to the best of their abilities, but you don't know if you're gonna like 
get the same ideas, if you're going to get uh, other person who speaks Spanish, somebody who's going to like you as a person too, especially when it gets really stressed out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, what's great about the program is it allows you to work in different projects with different people. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage that, like always work with different people, not just with your friends, especially not just with your friends. Um because then you know who you work with best. Sometimes your best friend isn't the best person for you to be working with. I've also learned that. And sometimes uh, people you never thought you'd work with might end up making the best film that year, you know? So mm-hmm. I definitely encouraged younger students to pursue, keep working with different people, have different workflows, but find what works best for you. Because at the end of the day, if, you've, if you're directing that film, your name is on that film, you should be making it the best that you can make it. Mm-hmm. And you should be bringing on board the best people that can make that happen. And speaking about that advice that you're giving them now, we're sort of at the start of the uh, school year and the people who are in fourth year are starting to come up with their ideas and their scripts and their pitches. What do you think it's uh, a good advice for them to know or to have prior to those production days or shooting days when it's going to be a lot of stress and all eyes on them, uh, even if they had that experience in third year, what would you say it's a good advice to have? Let me think about that. Um... Quit. Run away. <laughs> Run. Uh, no, actually, that's the opposite of what you should do. Something that works for me mm-hmm. is to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan Z. Like, I really overthink a lot of different scenarios um, in terms of how to approach scenes and what happens if we lose this location. Um, but that's just me kind of overthinking and analyzing what would work best for the story. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, why are you making this film? The biggest thing I would argue is maybe don't make a movie just to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Make a movie in the role you want to make that movie and give it your best if for example you don't want to direct and you want to produce make it the best possible produced film that there there was like really shoot for the stars make sure that there's proper crafty for all the crew because you're not paying them they're coming out to volunteer make sure that the everything that is set for the cast and crew like is good to go and make sure that your locations and your contracts are all set if you're directing like really take the time to yourself to think about the story That's really important because when you get that script finalized, it's great. When you get like actually on set and you're making it happen, some things might not work the way you thought they would work. And when you get to the editing room, things are like literally turned upside down and the story you had on the script is very different than the story you had um, coming out in the end. So be open to change, really taking people's advice and Take them with also a great assault because at the end of the day, again, you are directing this film and whatever creative choices you want to make, stick by them. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of things that people said to me to change about La Mariposa. And although I definitely took advice and I definitely altered some things, one of the biggest creative challenges I faced was they wanted me to cut a whole scene out and I didn't want to do that. And I'm glad I didn't because it's one of my favorite scenes. Which one? <laughs> it's the opening scene of the film uh, where the family comes in and like gives the tickets to the pool and they don't understand what the person is trying to say um, even with even if you're getting advice from teachers like teachers are great and they know 
how to help and they're trying to guide you th- through everything but sometimes teachers don't understand what you're trying to get across in a certain film where they have a different taste or a different style so again trust your instinct that's really important those cinematographers it's not about the pretty lenses and the big cameras and the most expensive gear it really is about how you command your crew you treat your friends and how you make this film come to life with the lighting and the camera and everything and and truly give it your best like if you're giving it your best throughout this whole process then you're making it happen um, I would say my biggest advice for anyone in every year of this film program is to help each other out. I remember the minimum hours required to help out other people's on other people's sets was about 100 hours in first year. Um, I Minty did 580 something. I did 480 something. And like Mike Johnston, who was also a part of that year, did also 520 something. Um, we were overachievers, yes, but we were also people who were on almost every film set. And I would say us three got the most experience on being on set and really took advantage of being there and learning. And I would say that that's big, the re- biggest reason why Mary Post was so successful, because I watched years above me fail in their films and I watched people that were in my class fail and also succeed and I was there to witness that and how that happened. So when it came in time to make my film happen, I made sure that like I knew exactly what I wanted and how to do it. Of course, don't get me wrong, I failed. There were certain things that I didn't enjoy about La Mariposa and there are still things that like I cringe at but people would never notice unless I point it out and there's also like the script that I wrote is very different than what it came out to be. To circle this back, fourth years, if you're trying your best then that's the best you can do. That's the best advice I can give you. Just make sure you treat your crew nicely, give them the best food you can and it's all about the story. So let's talk a little bit about that success that La Mariposa has had since it came out. Um, well, firstly, it won a bunch of awards at POV. I was there to witness, witness that. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. Um, but tell us about where the film has premiered. And I know that you got a, a really big award um, recently. So maybe just talk us through that journey that La Mariposa has had? Um, when, it sh- uh, when it played at POV, I was lucky to receive the best director, best film, and audience choice. And then me personally, I won Women in Film Award, uh, but that's awarded to mostly a filmmaker on its own, not just the film. And then I submitted to several festivals because I made a pretty big budget in terms of paying for the festival fees. And I will say we've gotten a lot more rejections than we have acceptances. But, you know, that's to be expected. It's the first choice. The first film festival we got accepted into was the Chicago International Children's Film Festival, which was an amazing opportunity. But the first festival we played at was we opened the Toronto Latin American Film Festival, which I was very proud of. Um, After its green in Chicago... I remember getting a lot of emails from different people who had their own film festivals and asked to screen La Mariposa. So I would argue there is about three or four film festivals that I didn't submit to, but were seen 
but because they were seen in Chicago mm-hmm. and they were uh, people that had come to see that screening were very interested in having those were very interested in having that film come over to their own film festival um, and then it also went to different festivals like new in New York uh, one in Providence it went to one in Singapore which is a small film festival that actually kind of travels all over Asia and it goes to schools specifically for children the biggest success that Larry Posa has had is being in the children's film festival circuit which I think is pretty spectacular I never really thought of this film to be specifically for children but I can see why it is and also it's so PG that it's it's great for the whole family I was very lucky to have it play in Vancouver at the real to real film festival for youth and I was here I remember watching the film with adults like in POV and other film festivals I was able to attend to and it was great very different reaction though when I we watched it with children only they were laughing at different things that the adults didn't laugh with and they were responding to different things and their questions were of course much simpler and more um, into the story and this 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 character that they didn't understand why she did this and why she did that whereas the adults were more interested in like what happened to the parents did they make it and which is great yes they did make it by the way um, so the festival circuit has been truly a godsend and um, I was able to submit it to the Leos for best student production and we were lucky to receive a nomination and then we're lucky to receive the actual award and yeah and recently it has been accepted into another couple festivals in one in Colorado and one in Seattle and that one's the national national film festival for talented youth which is pretty spectacular film festival it's actually like the con for people under the age of 25 which I'm really excited for I'm gonna be road tripping and going there Um, I've just heard really good things about the festival, so I'm excited for that. But yeah, La Mariposa has had a lot of success in the film festivals, but with that, like, we've also failed a lot. Like, I would say if we applied to 40 film festivals, we got into, like, 13. And there are still definitely some that I'm waiting to hear from because they would just be, like, a long wait, or I'd end up paying my credit card and being like, okay, now I can apply for another one. Um, But yeah, it's not easy getting the rejections but it's also pretty spectacular to receive some acceptances congratulations on all your success thank you um is it going to play in latin america anytime soon you think to be honest i haven't had any luck in latin america what the biggest reason i think is because it's a very canadian and north american story mm-hmm. and because it's strict strictly very like refugee and immigrant there aren't that many immigrants kind of in Latin America in terms of them being Latin American, you know, going into a Latin American country. Um, It's a story that really resonates with Northern American uh, people, as well as also Asia. It's definitely been asked to premiere in certain places there and some in Europe. So it's really interesting that in Latin America, I've had little to no luck. Maybe it's the acting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe they know that like the Spanish is a little bit off or maybe they know they're like oh we have better shorts here so you would think that or you would say that some film festivals are not actually 
do not curate their films based on like uh, quality or having a different array of stories more so than like what could cater to our very specific audiences especially in Latin America yeah I think so there's also festivals in, in Canada who are a little bit more picky in what they choose from even if it's a really good film mm-hmm. um, yeah but that's just me having a very limited knowledge of a bunch of film festivals right, right. like I've there's diff- there's also very different film festivals that cater to everyone, but they're also longer and bigger institutions. Um, but a lot of the film festivals that I was looking into, especially in Colombia, a lot of them didn't take international shorts, so it was really difficult to apply to those. How long after the first premiere of your film do you think uh, you keep you can keep uh, applying to other festivals? Like how long until you finish the film? I think you have about like a two-year, three-year mm-hmm. maximum. Mm-hmm. You have a two-year wait, like period where you can still keep submitting. Um, I know some festivals are restrictive. They're like if you've made your film, your film has to have been completed by January of this year in order to be accepted into this year's category. Um, some festivals don't care. Some festivals want only premiere status. So that means that your film should not have premiered anywhere else. Um, but they it should premiere at the festival you're applying to. So it really depends on what you're trying to go for, but I say two years is a max. Well, again, I want to congratulate you on, even if you got those 13 out of 40, it's <laughs> sort of like it's connected to what you say, which applies to anything in life. I think you keep on trying and you keep on learning from those no's. Mm-hmm. If, if it's in high school, if it's in the swimming pool, or if it's in the film festival um, circuit, and now you're going into, uh, you're embarking on a new opportunity to learn and grow as a filmmaker. What can you tell us about the VIF mentorship program? Because I know that's something new this year that you are also very lucky to be a part of. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty spectacular. I didn't get it. I didn't think that I would have the chance to be a part of this, but um, luckily it came, it came true. Um, it's a program that allows 10 emerging filmmakers to participate in a mentorship uh, designed to provide an immersive introductory film festival experience. So these 10 emerging filmmakers get to be paired up with other amazing, talented filmmakers who have had their features featured in VIF or have had the pleasure of making their own features and establish themselves in the industry for at least five or more years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to be paired up with them or we choose someone who can like somehow fit the needs of style or the way we want to approach our projects and be allowed to be mentored by them. And we also get access to the whole festival through a festival pass and tickets through the gala screenings. And we are, we're also given the opportunity to go to these VIF sessions where we, where we are allowed to talk to funders like Telefilm and Creative BC and NFB and CMF. What's great about this program is that it allows you to have that one-on-one time with funders and that one-on-one time with people who will literally be giving you the money to make your film come true. So it sounds like a great chance to not only watch films from around the world, like you would do at a film festival, but also learn the business of film festivals, uh, networking on all the stages of the film's release. Uh, what do you expect to gain from this experience? Honestly, I'm really looking forward 
to being able to kind of be in the same room as people I look up to and mm-hmm. be able to hopefully ask them questions that I've been yearning to ask. I'm looking forward to the networking opportunities, looking forward to watching really good films, which I always do when a VIF comes around. I make sure to get a festival pass because it's so important that I get to see what else is out there. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to meeting my mentor and getting to talk with her about how I can make my future come true and how she made hers come true. And because that's the next step, right? The next step is to make features and mm-hmm. get your foot in the door and let people know who you are. It's only 10 filmmakers that are selected. And I was wondering, have you met the other nine filmmakers before this? And if so, how widespread is the selection of this top 10 in terms of representation, point of view, and even filmmaking, uh, filmmaking genre? I've met a couple of us. We had the pleasure of being introduced during the VIF press release, but um, some of us, some of them weren't there. Um, I can say that there were a lot of applicants, and yeah, they chose 10. And I honestly, I saw more women in the program than I did men. And the men that were chosen were of uh, different ethnicities. Same with the women. There were so many women of color, which I think was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And our um, coordinator did an amazing job in choosing the talented people on this program. So I'm really excited to get to know them more and get to hopefully work with them in the future. But um, yeah, it's been pretty early in the stages of the mentorship right now. So. Yeah, I can't really say who these yeah. people are exactly. <laughs> was it hard to apply? Well, no, it wasn't. It was something that was open. They kept on announcing in almost every like film page there is. And you basically submit a questionnaire and tell them why you're the best candidate for this program. And you submit your portfolio and whatever else material they ask for. And then you just wait, basically like every other grant or application you submit. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky to get to the second round, which allowed us to be interviewed by the programmer as well as the VIF uh, senior programmer. Um, and then I was also lucky and fortunate enough to get the second call, which said that I was welcome into the program. Yeah, yeah but that was around like a, about a month and a half long pro- process. Of just waiting. Yeah. Well, applying and then waiting and then getting in. Um, so I'm going to guess that you would encourage people who are graduating this year or are interested in film to apply at some point when they feel ready for it. It's a great opportunity, it sounds. They do require for you to be available during the film festival period. So if you are out of school and you have the time to do that, apply. If you're into film, apply. Like, what's the worst that can happen? You don't get in. Okay, big deal. We move on. But mm-hmm. the best thing that could happen is that you do get in and you get the chance to come face-to-face with those amazing people that are also in the program and then yeah it's really important that people outside of film school try it and apply because you never know what kind of doors it will open yeah and if you don't get in you can just buy a festival pass exactly and, and then that. make sure like regardless if i was if i wasn't going to get into this program i definitely was going to buy a festival pass and make sure that i can go to some of the networking parties that they do have available for the public mm-hmm. so it's worth to just Give yourself that push because if you really want to make something happen, then you got to make it happen. So congratulations on getting the VIF <laughs> mentorship program. Uh, 
And it's also sort of like a good time for all of us because most people in FIST and February, I know some people are volunteering or working for BIF, so it's going to be a lot of UBC over there, so I'll probably catch you over there uh, in some screenings. And after this, I just wanted to ask you what's next for Andy Alvarez. Wow. <laughs> well, what's next for me is I have directed another short. Actually, I've directed two more shorts since graduating. I did one in May and one two weekends ago. Um, both will actually be wrapped everything by the beginning of October, which is like next week. Um, so I've um, kind of been working on the post-production for that for a, a while. And then I have produced a Talis Story Hive digital short over the summer, and that was called Yasmina. You can check it out on the website. And I've also just been applying to other festivals and been applying to other grants to get more projects off the air. But basically, you know, keep hustling. We're still working in the industry. I used to work as a camera assistant on MOWs for several months. And then I moved on to becoming a production coordinator for a documentary series. So I'm going to keep doing the production coordinator gig uh, to pay the bills, but still pursuing my own stories and making sure I'm getting short films off the ground and use those as specs to get my feature going. So you think that that should be the goal for most filmmakers that are uh, constantly working in short films, a feature? Because I know there's uh, some artists who decide that short film is the best uh, medium for them. I mean, that's what the medium I want to pursue. I want to pursue fe feature films. Mm -hmm. But if a certain filmmaker only wants to make shorts, then by God, make shorts and have fun. Um, and there's people who only want to work in TV and only want to work in web series. So it really depends on what you're into and what you want to do, especially if you want to do unscripted work like that's documentary series like that's a whole other ball game so it really you gotta you gotta make those connections in those different fields and dip your toes in different things to like really know what you like that's what's great about film school is that it allows you to do that so I was able to do that in during film school and I'm still able to do that now so for me I think the best route is to go through the feature film uh, route or at least try to get there but I know lots of other people have different ideas of success. And speaking about that, um, have you found with those two new projects that have no connection to UBC now, have you been able to call in all those friends and all those professionals that you met at UBC? Um, and how has that worked in independent uh, filmmaking scene in Vancouver? Well, during UBC, the biggest resource that we had available to us, other than the fact that, you know, we had free permits for being student films and things like that. Um, were alumni. They were they a lot of the alumni from UBC film production have their own gear, so they were generous enough to give us discounts. And we still, I still work with those alumni. I see those alumni all the time, and the people and were in my class, like Mike, Kayla, Martin, Diana, Ben, Daniel. I could literally name everyone in my class. Minty Farhad. Like we see them mostly all the time. Of course, some of them have moved away or have pursued their career all around Canada, so it's harder to get in contact. But when they're available and when we are all able to do it, like I definitely call up those people and make sure that we have projects still going. And um, what's great about our class is that we still are making projects and we're still doing it together. And I think that's the biggest reason why I've succeed, succeeded this long is because I have these great group of people who I went to school with and have been able to make the stories that I want to make with them.
That's great. Um, and then to sort of wrap up this conversation, because I know there's a lot of people who probably look up to you and uh, think about... Who are you? you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. Uh, yeah, people who look up to you and are trying to figure out what they can do after they, they graduate, if the if it's worth it or not um, to stay in the film business in Vancouver. So I just wanted to ask you, uh, what have you learned about the media and the business, the local environment that has given you hopes to keep moving forward besides your own pursuit for filmmaking? If you really want this, then just do it. Don't even think about it. Just do it. Just do it like Nike. Right, exactly. Um, seriously, no, like the biggest thing is try and fail and fail and fail and fail and do it again. Like, keep getting up and do it again. My favorite movie is Rocky. Can you not tell? <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like, the biggest thing I would say is just keep going. Even people tell you no. I remember the first day of film school, we had one of our teachers, liaisons, people of FIPPER, and they, the first thing they said, it's like, women, ladies, there is it's really tough out there for, the, for you in the film industry. The door is right there if you need it. And I remember that really, like, that really shocked me. And we actually did lose one of our students that year in terms of just decided to change majors because she thought that the film industry was too much. Um, but that kind of negative, I guess, but that kind of way of thinking really got me thinking differently. And I really wanted to keep pushing and prove people wrong and that, like, women can still make great stories. And luckily after... Um, this Me Too movement and Time's Up, it's been great to have more people that are of different ethnicities and different backgrounds tell those different stories. So I think if you are someone who has a really good story and you know how to do that well, then I say keep fighting to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to be a filmmaker, then do it because this is the best time, I think, in terms of our political climate and the way our world is changing, that we should definitely pursue the arts and definitely pursue film because right now everyone watches a film or at least some sort of media a day. Every single person, even babies. So you are then becoming this person in charge of influencing a whole other generation. You are in charge of shaping the way people think and to be a filmmaker is a heavy task. So do it and like care about it and if you're not if you don't care about it then do something else but if you do care about it then keep doing it and call Andy she'll help you maybe just kidding no I will be there and please bring hot chocolate because I don't drink coffee <laughs> oh, me neither I bring coffee <laughs> thank you so much Andy for coming and for talking to us it's been great and I wish you success with VIF and with all of the films we'll be there to watch them as well thank you thanks for having me it was lots of fun yay bye bye This episode is produced by Christian Diaz-Duran, Diraj Warren, and Michael Stringer. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from.